This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health. Have negative impacts from all the craziness of life affected your job, maybe a relationship, maybe your social life, or maybe your overall well-being? If that's you and you're struggling through the pains of addiction or alcohol addiction or a mental health disorder at that, now's the time to seek some help. Why wait? This can be an opportunity to get back on track and find the real you. You're not alone in this. I promise you that there's so many of us out there have gone through it. Promises Behavioral Health is here and they can help you find a path. Now we've worked with Promises for years. We know their teams personally. We have great relationships with them. And most importantly, we trust Promises and that means you can too. To learn more about Promises treatment options near you, you can go to promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. That's promisesbehavioralhealth.com slash sober guy. Or you can call 888 888- 205-1890. That's 888-205-1890. Tell them that you heard about them from that Sober Guy podcast. That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to that Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Our guest today is Matthew Gannum, and Matthew is a father to Christian and Peyton. Uh, He's a poet, he's a recovery advocate, and he's also the CEO of Aftermath Addiction Treatment Center. Uh, Matthew has struggled through his own journey uh, with addiction, and he's here today to talk a little bit about that, talk some recovery with us. I'm excited to hear his story and share it with you today. So sit back, relax. We're going to get to Matthew in just a minute. First, are you tired of drinking? Uh, We have a 30-day program designed to help you quit drinking for 30 days or more. It's called Quit Drinking Dude, the ultimate men's guide to quit drinking alcohol and stay sober for 30 days or more. You can check it out right now. You get the entire 30-day program. Uh, You can use the promo code 50% off when you go to quitdrinkingdude.com. You can check that out. Getting a lot of good feedback on the program there. Lots of good dudes in our locals group as well. You can follow us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. And you can join us in our sober guy men's group on the locals platform. Go ahead and download the locals app or you can go to that sober guy podcast.locals.com. And uh, once again, all the links from today's podcast will be in the show notes. You can contact Matthew. You can get in touch with him. And anything we talk about will make it easy for you to go in there and uh, click those links uh, if you'd like to follow up. All right, Matthew, uh, it's good to be with you today. Good to have you on the podcast all the way out in Massachusetts, from Massachusetts to California and back. We're talking recovery. We're both rocking the Boston hats today, even though I'm an A's fan. I'm more of a baseball fan, so I just love baseball, and I do like to watch some Red Sox baseball too. So, yeah, how are you, man? It's good to have you on the show. I'm doing, doing pretty good, man. It's an honor to be on the podcast. Very blessed, very grateful to be here. You know, hopefully we can inspire somebody with my story, a little bit of background, and maybe even share some poetry for you. Oh, I'd love that. I would love that. Absolutely, man. And uh, um, maybe let's let's start there then. Why don't you give us a little background about yourself uh, so those listening can get to know you a little bit, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Yeah, so um, my struggle started with this, like, um, this very – like one of my biggest struggles was trying to fit in, trying to be a part of, trying to be accepted by others. I had this like fear that if I didn't follow suit with whatever my friends were doing, that they would, you know, make fun of me, outcast me, kick me to the curb. And uh, 
when we started playing sports, it was I was playing sports every single day. You know, I was trying to get better. I wanted to be the best at what I did. And, um, you know, ultimately my journey to IV heroin use, homelessness and all that started with a cigarette. We were walking to school. It was a group of us. We walked every single day to school. My buddy Sean stole a pack of cigarettes from his mother. One by one handed us each a cigarette. And I didn't have that, uh, you know, I I had that fear that if I didn't do this, they were going to make fun of me, tell me to kick rocks Mm. and, you know, outcast me. So that unspoken peer pressure, I lit up that cigarette, coughing my lungs out on the corner thinking we were cool kids and just following suit with what we did, you know, with whatever the group of friends that I was hanging around with did. And that right there followed me from the next step to drinking, to smoking weed, eventually to ecstasy. Uh, I got kicked out of two schools my freshman year. Uh, And then when I was a junior in high school, I got introduced to this drug called Oxycontin. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, at the time, we were doing other drugs, you know, ecstasy, calm down. I'd feel suicidal on the calm down. There was like some sort of consequence or whatever. Um, drinking really wasn't my thing. And then the struggle to get alcohol was always tough. You have to yeah. get somebody with an ID, go to the liquor store, whatever. Um, but that first time I tried an OC80, it was like, you know, it was like heaven. And again, peer pressure led me to it. Not the, hey, Matt, you do this or we're going to beat you up or make fun of you. It was we we're at a house party. But he broke it out. He said it was like taking a couple of perks. Mm. And one by one, you know, we all did it. And when the time came for me to do it, I didn't have that courage to walk away. I couldn't say no. And then that feeling that I got was like pure euphoria. Um, It gave me that feeling that I could go fight Mike Tyson. I could go hit hit on the hot girl at school. Like it was like everything that my life was missing. And at that point in time in my life, uh, my mother had already thrown me out of the house. I was like a real trouble kid. Um, my father had left. Um, so, you know, I was partying. I was a little out of control. You know, I was getting in trouble at school, fighting, just winning some, losing a bunch, you know, just trying to cause ruckus and, and chasing like this type of chaotic lifestyle. Yeah. And, um, you know, when we first started doing OCs, it was like a Friday, Saturday thing. And it was easy to get them because a drug dealer isn't going to card you. They're not going to ask you for your ID. You know, as long as you have money, they were cool with it. And, uh, you know, there's... Friday, Saturday turned to Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday turned to splitting a pill on Monday to hustling one up on Tuesday to all of a sudden I'm doing this drug every single day. And like, you know, for a while it was fun. It was like a blast. Like everybody that, that I hung around with, every kid I grew up with, like we were all doing it. And, um, when I first tried it, like nobody told me like, you're going to turn into a heroin addict. They never said I was going to be homeless or in and out of jail or programs. They didn't tell me about the consequences. You never hear about that. And then on top of it, when people did say, hey, you know, I heard such and such started doing dope. I was like, oh, I was only that's only that person. That ain't me. I'm never going to end up like that. And then there I am in detox, you know, for the first time kicking OCs and like. I always, you know, you look at the dope addicts and the older dope fiends were like, oh, kid, you don't want to end up like me, heroin yeah. addict. And I'm like, oh, I'm never going to be like you. I was a better than addict in those places in the early days. Like, yeah. oh, you shoot heroin? That's filthy, disgusting. You're a junkie. I'm better than. My pill habit got out of hand or I sold drugs, right? Mm. I had this like severe illusion that I was a tough guy in the streets. I, I had a name, I had a reputation, I sold drugs, I was a stick-up kid, and I used to live and thrive off of that. But it was the drugs. The drugs gave me the confidence to do a lot of things that, like, you know, as I, I get into my story further on, like early on in recovery, that once you remove the drugs from me, I was a scared little boy trapped inside a young man's body. Yeah. 
But while I was ripping and running, you know, I was off the wall, willing to do whatever. But the first first few times I was in detox, I would look at that dope fiend like, oh, yeah, you're that disgusting junkie. And then the next time I was in detox, you know, there I was sniffing heroin, but I was better than because I sniffed it instead of sh- instead of using a needle. I'm never going to go to a needle. Um, and, you know, eventually I ended up using a needle. And I was a monkey that sold bananas. So the entire time I was getting high, I sold drugs. I hung around with a lot of older kids that that used to think live by this code or that they were looking out for me. They were trying to help me out when in reality I was their guinea pig to to profit off of, to go send me out there and make money. And then when I was selling, I was doing all my profits. It wasn't like I was even, yeah. you know, like at, early on I had some things, I had some materialistic things. I had an apartment. I was like, I was 18 years old with, with the first person in like my group of friends to have an apartment. It got raided by the OC task force. Um, you know, I just, I, it crumbled fast. It happened really fast. And uh, when I was 19 years old, after my apartment got raided, I was sleeping on my best friend's couch. It was September 1st, 2004, and I woke up, and uh, his mother was screaming, and he was hanging in the bathroom. He was hanging in the bathroom. He committed suicide. And uh, I ran in there, and I grabbed him, and I, I took him down. And, um, you know, it was one of, like, the most traumatic experiences that I've ever, ever had to go through. And, uh, you know, what, what do we do in those times when we get such pain uh, as we go and get high? Because that's what's normal to us. And for, for the period after that, I was on like a suicide mission. Um, I got high. Uh, I, commit, I started committing crazier crimes. I progressed from doing OCs to heroin to shooting heroin to smoking crack to shooting crack. Um, ultimately spiraled out until I was alone. I burned every bridge around me until I was on an island. I didn't talk to any of my friends or my family. My father and my mother were sick and tired of the times that I reached out to them and apologized, but I need, I'm sorry, but can I have $40? I'm sorry, but can I stay at your house where you wake up, I'm gone with your jewelry and your checkbook? Mm. You know, like I always had some sort of condition attached to any apology. I had to the point that they stopped answering, right? And like my friends, I didn't have any. I thought my drug dealer was like my best friend. Like he was the only one that would pick the phone up. Like, yo, Boppy, I need two browns. <laughs> how, how old were you by this point? His. How old were you by this point? By this point? Uh, I was 19. Damn. I was 19 when I started doing dope. 19, 20, 21. And fortunately, when I turned 21, um, I've been in jail. I had been in and out of programs. When I got to these programs, a lot of times, like being 19, being 20, I was the youngest kid there. And I, I was 130 pounds soaking wet and I had court issues. So a lot of times I was stipulated. I would get through the door of the halfway house, look around at like grown ass men that are like mid thirties, did jail time and be riddled with fear that in fight or flight, I would just take off. Like I wouldn't even drop my bags. Oh, Courts wow. can catch me, put out the bench warrant. Like I'm, I'm off ripping and running. I'll take my chances there. And, um, ultimately, um, you know, I was getting high with my best friend. Um, me and him was sleeping head to toe on a futon in South Boston, getting high with his mother. His mother had just done five years in prison, and we were paying rent by giving her heroin. And Eddie ended up getting into a halfway house. And he knew at that point, like, I was on a suicide mission. I would do everything I scored that day with the hopes that, like, I passed peacefully in my sleep. 
because I was too terrified to pull the trigger when I held the gun to my head. I was too terrified to drop when I had a belt around my throat. Like I was scared to, to, to kill myself, but I wanted to die every day. Like I would wake up and be like, man, I got to go through this again, crawling out of my skin, pissing out of my ass, like mm. literally dying inside. And yet here I have to go peel my fucking flesh off the ground to go chase another bag of dope, to go lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, like do whatever it takes to go cop this bag of dope. So I wouldn't feel sick. Yeah. And, uh, my boy knew this. So every day he was telling me, Matt, you got to come in here. This is, this is such a dope spot. I was so sick that I went and visited him at this halfway house with his sister jammed out of my mind, mm. nodding out like group of guys trying to get their life together. And there I show up, blood coming down my arms from just shooting up, nodding out, looking like a loser. Like I really, I was so selfish and self-absorbed. I didn't care about the consequences or anything or anybody other than using. And, um, you know, I ended up being dope sick for a couple of days. His mother's shooting up in front of me. And I'm on the food tour, probably haven't showered in a week, didn't brush my teeth. Oh, and uh, she turns to me, she goes, Matt, you got a fucking problem. You need to go and get help. Mm. And then she proceeded to stick the needle in her arm and get high. And uh, I remember I went into the bathroom and I just, you know, over the years, you try to make sure you look good, your hair, you don't got bed head, you know, you don't got shit on your teeth, but you never mm. actually take a look at yourself. Mm. And it was the first time that I looked in the mirror and I just saw death staring back at me. And I, I couldn't even tell you who was who that person was, who that person became. And like for that moment, that brief moment, I wanted to live more than I wanted to die. And I knew if I kept up at the pace I was going, like I was going to end up dead. Yeah. And um, I ended up getting into a detox from there. Very fortunately, I ended up in that same halfway house that my buddy was in. And um, it was like one of the hottest halfway houses in Boston. It was a TC and like, um, you were either paroled to that program. It was the last stop before jail. And like, I got in there as a 21 year old weighing 140 pounds. Uh, family wouldn't talk to me, had no friends at this point. Like I was just completely defeated and broken. And, um, the guy gave me a chance at a bed. He ended up showing up to court for me. Now I was in like the court system since I was a young kid, young teenager, 14 years old. And like, I had had some clean time. I've been on maintenance before, you know, um, I had some other things that happened. Like I had a baby that didn't end up being mine oh, <laughs> after I got released from prison. Um, so like I had like a long history in the court system and yeah. I grew up with um, my original PO. I grew up with his son and his two nephews. So he always looked at me as like that 12 year old that played baseball, basketball. Yeah. Like I got every potential break and finally he gave up. And, um, you know, ultimately the guy, uh, Bob Brown that ran the halfway house went into court and was like, let's give this kid a chance. He's 21 years old. He's got his entire future that we could, you know, put him as a statistic in the system where he's never going to get out of the grip so we can give him a chance. And uh, the judge, Judge Flynn was like, you know, all right, we're going to, we're going to try to work with him. Hmm. And um, ultimately I ended up um, completing that halfway house um, six months in it. Now, when I first got in there, um, coming off of drugs, like I said before, like you remove the drugs, all that confidence, that street kid that I'll yeah. fight anybody, all that's removed. Here I am with guys that are 35, 36, 10 years in prison, all jacked up. And like one of the struggles I have is communicating. Hmm. So I couldn't go to that guy and be like, Hey buddy, I'm having a hard time. Like you want to talk about it? <laughs> and, uh, one of the things that I would do is I would write, uh, I write poetry. Um, I wrote poetry when I was growing up. 
when I was uh, banged up on OCs, I thought I was going to be the Tony Montana, the Oxycontin game, big time drug dealer, rapper. Yeah. And, uh, you know, ended up becoming useless when I started shooting heroin. Hmm. But in early recovery, we get hit with all the shame, the guilt, you know, uh, suppressing a lot of things like the trauma, losing my best friend, you know, all these emotions and feelings come rushing back to you. And how, a lot of it is like, how do you deal with it? Well, we usually get high when we're trying to deal with it. So what I would do is I would write poetry and I would write pieces as my way to get like that anvil that used to sit on my chest mm -hmm. to try to relieve that. I would put my thoughts and my feelings and experiences down on a piece of paper. And uh, ultimately that ended up being like one of the biggest therapeutic tools for me and staying clean. I completed the halfway house, went through a sober house for 18 months and kind of like hit the ground running, trying to like take on the world. Cause honestly, when we were younger, like there wasn't somebody who had five, 10 years clean preaching like, Hey, you yeah. can do this. You can turn your life around. You know, like it was usually the old drunk guy that was like miserable with his life, you know, that would like speak at like high schools and do the dad <laughs> yeah. program that just didn't work. Like that was the only thing of recovery that I ever knew. And, uh, you know, I started redeveloping like the passions that I had. I started playing sports again. And then, you know, over the, the period of time of being clean, poetry ended up being like this platform that took me across the country. I put out a book in 2011 called The Shadow of an Addict. Um, it started opening up doors of opportunity. And, um, you know, I speak at like high schools, middle schools, just trying to show kids that one, it's not cool to do drugs, not cool to try to follow the in crowd. And I try to talk about, you know, kids becoming leaders, be a leader instead of a follower. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and through my sobriety, um, through the poetry, I ended up getting opportunities to work in the field. And, uh, you know, I've opened two different treatment centers. Uh, I now own, I was a small owner at the last one that I ran and I opened up Aftermath in 2020. And uh, for a kid, a knucklehead that never had any college education, a convicted felon, um, that I hustle, I work hard, and I have an ability to connect with people and try to put the right people in places. And I've been able to thrive. And, yeah. and every day I wake up with a purpose, I get to see the life come back in somebody's eyes. You know, that person whose wife doesn't want them around, that, that kid whose parents are like, I've had enough. Like, you can connect, you know, just through, like, the pain. Like, I don't ever forget the pain that I went through and, and, and what I had to experience to get to where I'm at. And right now, where I'm at in life is I have two kids. Uh, I got a beautiful eight-year-old daughter who's just like me, so she's the devil. Uh, Troublemaking, <laughs> sour patch kid. I got a 13-year-old son that's going through puberty that I have full custody of because of my recovery, because I was able to show up when the time came, which is crazy in Massachusetts. Like, you, it's very difficult to get custody as a single father mm. of your child. Um, you know, I'm the CEO of Aftermath. Uh, I own my own house. I own two sober houses. Um, I get to go around and share these little uh, words that rhyme that I put down in a notebook on, you know, everything that I've been through, what I've been able to overcome and face adversity. Um, even in recovery, like, you know, being able to bounce back. One of the things recovery has taught me in getting clean from heroin addiction is that you can't put something in front of me that I don't think I can overcome. Yeah. I'm going to get through it, around it. I'm going to do whatever it takes time and time again to be able to succeed. And that goes from when I was in the halfway house to the sober house to my to, to, to renting a room in a rooming house to my first shared apartment to my own apartment. Like, you know, 
we're not supposed to be where we're at. I'm not supposed to be talking to you across the country. We're supposed to be a statistic. We're supposed to be dead. I remember going to places and them telling us the odds, right? You got a five, a 10% chance. You're going to be back here. You're going to overdose. You're going to die. You'll be back in jail, Matt. You're going to be nothing. And here I am still standing, smiling, trying to inspire that next person. Like, yo, this isn't about statistics. You can do this. You put the work in, you're going to get the results. Yeah. You surround yourself with good people. You find something that, that you can, uh, you know, whether it's NAA, smart recovery, refuge recovery, like whatever you can find that, that you can center yourself and build that foundation, like, and you put the work in, you're going to thrive in life. And people in recovery have some of the, the biggest skill sets of anyone, whether it's like, mm. you know, I have, I have a bunch of friends that own businesses, construction, plowing, um, treatment centers, sober housing. Um, I got musicians, actors, like, I mean, we have, we have some of the most talented people once we get out of our own way and start yeah. using that same type of uh, hustle that we use to get high and put that into something positive. Yeah. And that's something that I really try to push on people. Like, don't, don't limit yourself on like, all right, I'm just going to stay clean. And that's it. Like, obviously in early recovery, that's huge. That's big. But like recovery, isn't just about trying to, to stay away from drugs. It's about thriving in life, yeah. living a life that that's full of purpose and waking every day grateful and, and never forgetting that desperation that led us into the halls, into the program, into into recovery. And that's something, you know, I don't ever want to be homeless sleeping in Boston Common ever again. Like I am all set. <laughs> We're going backwards. Yeah. I don't I don't want to sit there and see my kids through a plexiglass window in jail because, you know, I fell off and went right back to like getting high. Because yeah. when I get high, I end up homeless and end up in jail. I don't care what successes I have. I'll burn this yeah. whole thing to the fucking ground. Yeah. Yeah, you uh, you have purpose, you know? You found, mm-hmm. like, uh, we were talking about that in a meeting last night about finding your why. Like, what's your mm-hmm. why? Like, what that what motivates us? For a lot of us, yeah. it's just pure desperation. For, mm-hmm. for some of us, it's a mix of a lot of things. Desperation, our kids. Um, I know for me, I had um, the feeling that God had something more for my life. Like mm-hmm. I could feel it. Yeah. And I could also feel that something really bad was about to happen if I didn't get yeah. some help too. Um, mm-hmm. But man, dude, th- thanks for sharing your, uh, your, your story, man. I know it's hard to put a lot cause I know there's probably yeah. a ton more to it. But oh, there's you, a lot of detail. Yeah. When, when we're looking at a time restraint, I'm like, exactly. how do I blast through this? And the, well, I was going to tell you, did, some of the, the you did a really, you want to hit. You did a really good job of going through it and shifting gears, though, and giving us like a really good uh, picture of that. And I had a couple mm-hmm. questions just uh, yeah, from from what from what you shared already. So the first one or the first thing that I thought of was um, I have yet to hear it out of the words from somebody else. Um, almost the exact same thing that um, I've written down and said before, too. And, and that is um, that I was a. Uh, a scared little boy trapped in a grown man's mm-hmm. body. Like I felt uh, so much like that. And, and I think yeah. I would guess that there's a lot of other dudes out there who, when they can be honest mm-hmm. with themselves, they probably feel the same way. So oh, absolutely. What, what, what was your take on that? And maybe you could dive into that a little bit more. So, maybe speak to someone so who, when I was younger, you can't show weakness. You can't show yeah. vulnerability as a man. We can't like we're ingrained in man up. No, you know, don't feel the feelings or a man through it, whatever. And uh, the neighborhood that I grew up in, 
I looked up to a lot of tough guys, a lot of like street guys that, that sold drugs that did this, that, and the other. Yeah. So looking up to people like that and being around them, wanting to hang out with them, I emulated them. So I had to put on this facade, you know, even when it was just dabbling in drugs early on before it got to Oxycontin where it was full blown, like thinking I was this big, bad drug dealer, um, you know, and you kind of live off your reputation. Right. Um, so when I was using and I sold, women wanted me, people wanted to be around me. You don't realize that it's not for the right reasons. Yeah. And I was delusional back then because I thought loyalty meant something. I thought, you know, you just, you just have a different perspective when you don't know. I'm looking back with, I've been clean now 15 years, coming up on 16 in April. So I look at things in a completely different perspective. Because even in early recovery, I still clung to this like, oh, the war stories and the skies. I got stabbed. Somebody tried to kill me. Um, like I used to live and thrive off these, you know, hardships that I had when I was using. Where now as, an, as a father, as somebody with the amount of time, I'm like, that kid was delusional. He was yeah. he was such a knucklehead. He's lucky he made it out. Mm. And to never try to put it on a pedestal, because I know like not only are the drugs that we're addicted to, we're addicted to the lifestyle, we're addicted to the women, fast cars, fast women, everything that surrounds it, where it's like we were just trying to fill this fill this hole, fill this void. And um, you know, the drugs really gave me this like artificial confidence that yeah. like I walked around with my chest out. And I was this big badass. And I promise you, when I was in that halfway house and I was looking around at the dude that just did 10 years that was 6'5 like this, Damn. that tough guy shit was like, all right, dude, how we, how we doing? I'm mad, you know, trying to get my life together, you know. Oh, but on the streets, I'm, I'll look at somebody that big, like, all right, I got yeah. a bat, I got a knife, I got a gun. I'm going to come yeah. at you in a different way. And, like, you remove those drugs, I'm not doing that. You remove the drugs, like, part of what, what I did to support my habit, I, I held up corner stores. Like I was known as a stick up kid. And I used to, I, I love that people knew me as that. Cause like people were scared. Me and me, and my best friend, he's dead now. He got murdered in 2017, Dougie. But me and him would walk into a party and people would be like, oh, are they coming in to, to take something? And that like, you know, that mm-hmm. ego, it fed the ego. Yeah. And like you remove those drugs, there's not a chance in hell I'm running up in a store. I ain't stealing a candy bar no more. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just the it's- spiral that I was on, the 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 area that I was from, the things that we were getting involved with, like it was like a culmination of like using street life, hadn't having to be on edge around everybody and and needing to have that bravado just to survive. It's like yeah. that survival instinct is that I'm not going to show you a weakness. If I'm selling drugs and you think there's any fear that's that's inside me, you're going to come and try to take what I have. And I can't have that. And again, like I was young when I got clean. I was young when I first got into the program. I promise you I was a terrified little boy. Even if I didn't like spell it out for people, I was riddled with fear trying to get my life together in the early stages, especially how people looked at me, how they viewed me. If I expressed how I was feeling, are they going to look at me like I'm weak, you know? And fortunately, fortunately now, like I'm very comfortable in my own skin. I don't worry about the opinion of others. I can look back at those things, especially when talking to young kids that are just trying to get it. Like I've been there, I've been in those shoes and I, you know, there ain't really crazy stories. We can, you know, we all share crazy things that we've done. Yeah. Ultimately, we're covering up a lot of things that, that have gone wrong, some traumas and and how we feel inside. And I'm not ashamed to be able to to to, to show who I am now compared yeah. to where I was back then. 
So if you if you could speak to a dude out there listening right now who mm-hmm. maybe maybe he's going through the ups and downs of getting you know back and forth. Um, mm-hmm. You went through some of that yourself. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've shared a lot about it. Um, you know you and I know I kind of shared that same thing. Waking up in the morning, swearing up and down, I'm going to get my shit together and then being mm-hmm. right back in the same place within a couple yeah. of hours. And like that repetitive, it's almost like groundhog day and you feel shameful. Mm-hmm. You feel angry. You feel lost. Like maybe you just, you're over it. You know, um, what, what do you usually say to other men out there who, who, or, or young, uh, young kids too, uh, teenagers who might be struggling with the ups and downs of getting on some sort of uh, firm foundation to a, like a good, path to recovery yeah i mean a lot of times uh in those situations when somebody's been in and out you know um sometimes they have tasted like a little bit of of recovery you know and i try to just explain like both recovery is hard also getting high is hard it's draining it's difficult and i try to break it down in the most simplistic terms of like what led you to try to even get help clearly you Mm -hmm. want to get help if you're trying right yeah So now it's like, well, how do you, how do you achieve recovery? How do you support the difficulties that you have? You got to raise your hand. You got to get uncomfortable. Our comfort zone is getting high every day, you know? So you have to like try to raise your hand at a meeting, express that you need the help, you know, talk about some of the things that you're not willing to talk about. If it's not NA, it's AA, it's, it's, it's refuge recovery. It's try something that you can find some sort of, of common ground with people that yeah. you can have as a foundation. And then it's, a, it's, it's really about you deserve a, a better chance at life. And that, you know, ultimately yeah. like drugs and alcohol put us in a grave. Like that's, that's the end result of our using jails, institutions and death. Yeah. And the fact is, is recovery is a hell of a lot better, a hell of a lot better life when you're not struggling, kicking dope, drinking your life away at the end of the bar, smoking it, sticking everything that you love in a pipe. Like when you can separate yourself from that and give yourself the chance, like life is so much beautiful, so much more beautiful than it is when we're using. Yeah. And you'll be able to, to achieve things that you can't when you're getting high. Yeah. You're not going to get the, the big house and a hot girl when you're sticking a needle in your arm and you're smoking crack. Like you're not going to have that happy ending. And you're not going to ever fill the void. You know, you're never going to heal whatever it is that you're struggling with, with a drink or a drug. It's just yeah. temporary relief, but all, all the chaos that comes with it still comes with it once, once it wears off or once you, you know, yeah. when, when you're sick and kicking, I, everything you suppress comes back to the surface. I love that. Uh, you're never going to fill the void, you know, because a lot mm-hmm. of us have, um, past hurts and uh, mm-hmm. trauma, you know, go down the list of things, the victim mentality. Yep. And we're trying to cover up by using a substance and numb out, not mm-hmm. feel. And um, the moment that I know for me, the moment that I was able to stop doing that um, and and start to almost thaw out a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my consciousness was numb to reality for so, for so long. Like it literally... Uh, I think that's why we, we say like, well, he's, you know, if you see someone who really suffers like with alcoholism, for instance, um, they're stuck uh, at 18, you know, here's, yeah. here's a guy who's 59 years old, but he's stuck that at like 17. Never yeah. grew. It just never mm-hmm. grew, man. He just got stunted and, and we became stuck there. And um, I think what it does is it, it um, not only does it stunt our growth, 
but it peels us back from God's path that we're supposed to be on. So you were stuck in a spot at one time where um, you were at the bottom of the bottom, but God had this other plan for you to go out and speak to kids and speak to Mm -hmm. other, other, other people, other men start a treatment center. Like you were stuck in this spot at one time man, and, and you let that go and was able to go off on, on the right path and anybody can do that, but we just have to make a decision and we got to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. we need some help, but we got to make a decision on our own. You know what I mean? Yeah. But that's the thing. We can offer all the help in the world to somebody if they're not willing to put in that work and be accountable. Cause a lot, like you said, the victim mentality, it's a lack of accountability, right? We blame everybody. For the longest time early on in my drug use, it was my mother's fault for throwing me out early. It was my father's yep. fault for leaving. It was this girl's fault for cheating on me. It was this girl for doing this. This is why I can't commit. This is why I struggle with that. It was always everybody else. And when you start being accountable for your actions and the part that you play and how you handle your reaction, you know, you get you get to progress a little bit further, I feel like. Yeah. You know, because as reco- as I've gained in time in recovery and try to be more accountable in everything, situations, arguments with friends, business decisions, I try to look at what part I play in it. And, and you know, yeah, trying to show the people, especially early on, like when you're accountable, you can't be a victim. You can't blame everything else for why you keep going back to drugs. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get sober. You're never going to get clean if that's the case when yeah. you're pointing the finger at everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. Um, when so were, were you doing poetry before you got clean, or yeah. so you were? So here, so here's the question I have for you because I have a music background mm-hmm. too, man. Played yep. in bands, right? All that kind of stuff. I love mm-hmm. it, uh, but it's different for me today than it was when I was still yeah, yeah. still using. And one of the things I had a hard time with was uh, connecting back to that once I got sober because it was a different space that I was in, like trying yep. to write, trying to play guitar, trying to mm-hmm. like be creative. That's actually what led me into podcasting because there's a lot of creativity that yep. goes. Yep. into this too um but it was hard to transition into that did you have a hard time transitioning into doing poetry again or was it different or what did that uh, look like? i mean for me i write with pain yeah. when i experience pain i have a hot of time lately with writing because life is so good compared yeah. to like when i have extreme pain yeah it flows and my pain just yeah. comes out and uh crazy. so i like wrote when i was a young kid like probably second or third grade I would write little little poems that rhyme. Like I was a terrible student, but that was one thing that I always enjoyed doing. I got like published. I couldn't even tell you where it was published, but my teacher had submitted a poem early on mm. and uh, it ended up getting published or whatever. Yeah. And through my youth, I, I dabbled with writing. I would stop. And then with using and like, I'm like a hip hop head. I love, I love music. Um, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a really good outlet for me. It's something you can just drift away and, and just like relatable. So I would write and then I started rapping. And again, I was high and delusional thinking I was some badass. So I was like, you know, King Kong on a mic and <laughs> all this nonsense. Yeah. Uh, but one of the cool things is, is I still have notebooks from that period of time. Yeah. I have no, I have poems from when I was first in detox where I write in it how I'm not an addict. I am not a drug addict. Mm. I struggle with that concept very early on to admit that I was powerless yeah. over this disease because it wasn't as bad at that point. And what's funny is you go through the progression of that book. It goes from me not being an addict to me wondering why I sold my soul for a bag of fucking heroin huh. and why yeah. I like literally put everything I loved and cared about in a cooker, you know, yeah. like it's crazy. When I got clean, that's when I started writing again. Uh, Cause everything just flew. It was just like, I was just so, emotionally unraveling at yeah. the time. 
had a lot to talk about. <laughs> I couldn't, t- I, I would bite my tongue because I was so fearful. And even like the house was a really difficult house that I went through. So just for, for, for an example, they had a, a, a table where we did our groups on and right. 26 guys in this house. Okay. And you sat according to, um, to seniority. So when I was early on, I was at the front of the table. And if you were there for like five, six months, you were at the end. So Bob Brown would, he was running his groups and he would ask a question. I remember I, I raised my hand one time to answer and he goes, how long have you been in this house for? I go three weeks. He goes, shut the fuck up. <laughs> moved on to the next guy. And I'm like, I love it. I, I, I was ready to run out the door. Like I ain't yeah. talking to nobody. This is like, this is too much for me. I can't deal with it. So like uh, I immediately shut down when I get uncomfortable, but I would, I would just jot like my thoughts down in little poems and whether it was about the group, whether it was about the day, um, you know, that was just like, it ended up becoming like this huge outlet. Yeah. And I used to like read my poems to my friends cause I lost my license for five years um, for a class A distribution charge I caught. And I would be driving to work with them and I'd be like, oh, I just wrote this, you need to hear it. And they had no choice cause we were in the car together. <laughs> so I would just blurt out the poems and they were probably sick and tired of my shit, but they were like, oh Matt, you got some talent. You should put yeah. it out there. Yeah. And then it went from there to like, I started sharing poems on Facebook, um, started finding out that there were these things like open mics to go to. So I started hitting open mics all the time. We getting the, uh, the, the wrap it up. Oh no, you're good. I was just, my, my daughter was just coming out. They're headed out to school. So she gave me the, I love you sign, which is just great. Yeah. uh, So I, so I started hitting open mics up and, uh, the first time I ever performed, I, I did a poem like this to the crowd, reading through it because I was t- I was terrified. I was shaking yeah. into a crowd of four people, and I knew three of them. <laughs> terrified. I love it. And uh, yeah, you know, in 2018, I performed in front of anywhere from 10,000 to 15,000 people on stage wow. at Recovery Fest at uh, McCoy Stadium. Oh, and right, dude, I do cool, this yeah. call and response poem called Miracle, mm-hmm. where I say I am a and the crowd chants back Miracle, and the entire stadium was thundering. Oh, wow. And I had this smile ear to ear of like, you know, talk about a, a cool journey, a cool moment in time is like, I help, I've been in the recovery community in the treatment world for a while. I've been a, a, a really in the trenches and trying to like speak up for people that can't as an advocate, clashing with politicians, hosting rallies. I put together nonprofits and some of a overcoming addiction that spawned out to like 30 or 40 different communities from there that each had their own little pocket. Um, I really try to lead by example. Yeah. and show people that they can do it and try to put a twist on this, that it's not just meetings. Like we have recovery basketball tournaments, cornhole tournaments. We have, you know, game night at a recovery center. Like we try to try to come at it from a different way and advocacy, yeah. the poetry. It was like a culmination at that moment of like a lot of work I put in. And there was a lot of people in the crowd that like have followed me for a long time. So the whole yeah. day was like, you know, Maddie, you helped me get into detox five years ago, or I'm still doing good, or I'm over here, or you know, I'm so proud of you. Like you come so far, like you give us all hope. And uh not not to like try to speak on an ego tip, but it's like it's a very rewarding thing to yeah. to put that type of energy out there, put that type of to to try to do enough good and like it's come back in spades for me. Yeah. You know, like I have my network of, of friends, like everybody's pretty much in recovery. Um, I went through like a real hardship now 18, about 18 months ago. 
that uh, I thought like my entire world came crashing down. Mm. And um, I've all, I've just been supported. Like I, I was carried through some of like my hottest times by people that love and care about me. And it's not about, yo, Matt got money. So let's use him to score. Uh, Matt's not my drinking buddy. He's not the guy yeah. with the connect for dope or crack. Like they were there because they genuinely love and care about me. And they know that that's the same type of love and, and affection I try to treat all my relationships with. And, um, yeah. you know, it's just, it's, it's cool. I've lived like such a, an absolutely insane life that if I told my knucklehead 21 year old self, Hey, this is what's <laughs> in store for you. I'd tell you to go fuck yourself. Oh, it's not yeah. Happening. yeah, no you way. Know? It's unbelievable, you know, to some mm -hmm. extent. How, how'd you start Aftermath? So, um, I had worked for another place. Uh, I got into treatment about eight years ago. A, a kid um, that I, I played sports with growing up had uh, started in, like, the treatment industry and got me a job into it and um, changed my life. I was working construction, barely getting by. I lived in an, a two-bedroom apartment. One of my best friends, his girl and their daughter and my son had to sleep in my bed with me because I could. that's just all I could afford at the moment. And uh, he pulled me out of there and, um, you know, I, I, I work hard. I try to, you know, help people, um, you know, regardless of, of their background. I try to do what I can to put them in a position to succeed or get them into to treatment. And, um, you know, opportunity started started opening up the doors of opportunity. And I started working with this guy um, who invested in me, gave me the opportunity to build something up from the ground up. Mm. Um, in 2016, I was able to do that, um, changed my life. It was a life-changing experience. So that's something I'll be grateful for regardless of my feelings towards it. Um, I ran a program for five years, built from the ground up, developed a great relationship. We were, you know, though it's treatment and we were, you know, clinical groups, like, you know, trying to help people get better. We were of the community. We yeah. sponsored a bunch of events. We showed up to every recovery event deep, our alumni, like we, we, we built this community. And, um, in 2020, unbeknownst to myself, um, you know, I got stabbed in the back and painted as somebody that I wasn't. And, uh, unfortunately all that got stripped away from me. And it was very heartbreaking because that was like my baby. That was, yeah. you know, it was like a, a make or break moment when we got started. I remember sitting in the office when it was empty thinking like, this is my shot at success. Like, this is how I'm going to change my kid's life and their future and be able to do some things that, you know, I never had the opportunity. I have no business education other than selling drugs and some books <laughs> out of my car. I got to like, say I though, some, some drug dealers, man, that's the best oh, entrepreneurs. Like, that back, you, yeah. Like looking back, I, we have the best education and we actually have <laughs> applied knowledge, not like what they teach yeah. you in school. But school can be a detriment to some people. Now, let me just be clear. Neither one of us are advocating selling drugs no, either no, for not, someone no, out there. listening. what the fuck did he just say? Drugs. No, but the concept and the entrepreneurial spirit exactly. of that, when we apply that drugs, to something good, yeah. Mm -hmm. Take away the drugs, man, we can do really anything. We can do some amazing <clears> things. So I ended up thriving when people, People ne didn't necessarily think I was going to succeed. Yeah. I put a lot of my friends on, like a lot of my friends in early recovery who are now making very good money in, in positions of, of, you know, directors and, and, and different positions in other facilities. Like it was like a good launching point. I gave people that, you know, had criminal backgrounds um, with the chance. And we formed this like great, you know, this we had this great thing that, that was going on. 
my former partner isn't an addict, is not in recovery, and is a very, uh, you know, he's business oriented. So unfortunately, he came in, tried to pin a lie on me and, and, mm. and kind of blackmail me into signing some documents to, to give over my ownership. Fortunately, I'm not a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. I, ain't, I didn't sign anything. I told the lawyer to kick rocks and ended up leaving. But it was ultimately, it was a bad breakup in business. It was a, it was a, yeah. it was a harsh uh, learning experience. I thought I had a friendship with the guy. I thought we were like, you know, I thought it was more than just like, oh, you, you make me money. Yeah. Now I have no use for you. And I don't think your value uh, contributes to this. So I'm going to remove you and I'm going to do it in such a way. I'm going to paint you out as a thief. Yada, 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 spread, you know, false rumors about me that have are not, there was no background to it. Um, you know, fired my, my best friend who's a single mother in the middle of a pandemic, fired another good friend of mine for their loyalty to me. Uh, ultimately, 15 people walked out. They said, I'm not working for anybody but Matt. Damn. You know, like some some deep loyalty. Yeah. And then some people had, had to stay. I never told anyone to leave because ultimately it was me and this one guy's dispute. I'm not letting you lose your livelihood and the way that you provide for your family or your life. Like I would, that would be selfish of me regardless of how I feel towards that situation. But after that, um, three hours after a meltdown, I'm like tatted up. I live in like a suburban neighborhood now. So I'm in the, <laughs> I'm in my yard screaming, sweating, flipping out, saying who knows what for like a three hour meltdown. And I immediately went in into the house, hopped on a computer, filed for an LLC, Aftermath Addiction Treatment LLC. Uh, the name is nice. for obvious reasons if you – I uh, can understand that story. Uh, yeah. This is the aftermath of, uh, you know, everything that just happened to me. And um, as a writer, I use our logos of Phoenix. Oh, and, nice. Uh, That's a cool shirt. Rising from the ashes. And <sighs> I use that as a writer, as a, as a huge metaphor in a lot of my writing. Yeah. And uh, from that point on, I can't be a victim, right? Not yeah. saying that I didn't have doubts and insecurities over that journey, but I was like, all right, that's how it's going to be. I have all the knowledge. I gained all the knowledge on how to how to do what I was doing there. Now it's time to apply it for myself. And so you had the trust and you had to, you had to show a lot of trust and a lot of faith. Oh, in I let it, letting I go. Put, I bet my entire life on this being successful. I borrowed against my house. I, I took a personal loan out. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, I had some other people trying to partner up with me that <clears throat> fortunately I, I, I took the, the hard headed way out of, I'm doing this on my own. I'm not, I'm never going to be in a situation again that somebody's going to take food off my kid's plate ever. Yeah. And, um, the community in Massachusetts rallied around me, uh, right after it happened. Um, you know, social media in our area was like set on fire. Matt's, you know, never not answered the phone. He's always been there to help. Like, I mean, literally they rallied around me. So I'm going through this like emotional turmoil through it. And I got people showing me the, the just showering me with love, showering me with support. I had people that worked for the state reach out to me being like, you've always been an amazing figure in the community. What can we do to help? And we ended up getting the fastest license ever issued in the state of Massachusetts. Wow. Uh, we That happened July 2020. We were open by October 2020. Damn, that's fast. Like, yeah, yeah. crazy <laughs> turnaround. And, yeah. you know, we... I got to do it with a core of people that I love and care about that are like family to me. You know, like I have such an incredible team over here that, you know, is it a just lot for, of places don't stand up. Is it just for men or is it, is it co-ed? No, it's men and women. It's men and, men women. and okay. women. Mm -hmm. 
but like a lot of places are kind of like copy and paste they're, they're pretty much the same like our staff is what what really separates us everybody in here is in recovery we all have that learned experience and we all come from different backgrounds and like we're able to treat from you know the wall street uh multi-millionaire corporate to like that lowly street level drug addict like like myself you know yeah. and everybody in between you know the single mo- the, the the married wife stay at home stay at home on the drinks like you know it was a it's a beautiful team that we put together but i'll yeah. tell you in that time from when that happened to opening up i had some really uh soul searching moments of you know whether it was giving up not necessarily getting high but wanting to take the edge off yeah. in some sort of way of the doubts like is this going to even work i started questioning was it them was it me like what really yeah. drove what we were just doing, I started questioning our approach on treatment because a lot of what we do is love and you can't quantify love Yeah, and a matter of data driven treatment where like we try to build people up instead of break them down and show them that like they can live a better life. And what was, the one, what was the one thing that did it for you that, that changed a lot of those doubts and that that voice in your head just going like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> yo, everybody I talked to and tried having a sob moment was like, shut the fuck up, man. You're gonna be successful. <laughs> just like you're. And I'm like, you're... but I'm hurting right now. Like, I'm going through it right now. Can I just, can I just express that? So, so that was too, because wasn't it the first one? Bill Brown was that his name? He said, Bob, how long? Yeah, yeah, Bob, yeah, Bob yeah, Brown. How long you me. been here? Three weeks. Shut the fuck shut up. The fuck up. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I'm telling you, that's what it was like. Yeah. yeah, I would try to vent to my friends, and they'd be like, shut up, Matt. You're gonna. <laughs> this shit's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And that's ultimately what, what, what came out of it is that yeah. one of the worst days of my life turned into the best, like beyond best day of my life was the day that happened. And I always had dreams of branching out on my own, but I got forced into a corner. And when you put me in a corner back to the ropes, like I'm going to come out fighting. And yeah. that's what happened. Like I, I, I fought and I clawed to get to this point. And I'm fortunate that, that we had a team with the same mentality and we just, you know, yeah. we push through. And that's something I try to show people. Like, even in recovery, you're going to get hit with adversity. I'd have a tough conversation with my son that, like, I know we live this beautiful life, but, like, we might have to sell the house. We might have to take a step back yeah. through this. And also trying to show him how you respond to adversity because yeah, that's, that's how character's made. It's easy being a front runner in life or even in recovery. A lot of times when everything is going great, what happens? We can skate through. But how do you respond when shit hits the fan? Are you in those fight or flight situations? Are you going to fold or are you going to keep pushing forward and overcome it? And that's like getting clean from dope. That gave me the the belief that I'm going to get through it, even though in those moments, those ups and downs and those soul searching moments of just like, yo, is this going to work out? Like where, you know, what's going to happen? Am I going to have to move? Is everything going to come crumbling down? Did I make a bad decision because I had people that were willing to invest instead of like, putting it on my own shoulders and literally pushing the chips of everything I've accumulated in life into the middle and saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to live with the results of this. I'm going to live with how everything plays out. That's so tough too, because, um, I know that there's that fear of impending doom sometimes Mm -hmm. that can just get us, man, and can just overtake us, especially when we've got a lot of stuff riding on it, family, Mm -hmm. financial stuff, our own recovery itself and, uh, getting through that, um, I, I think, uh, that's a good, a good point. You made a little bit of tough love, but also, mm-hmm. um, also support loyalty, yeah. trust, like having a good group of like, what's that old, uh, 
quote, um, you're going to be like the five most people that you mm -hmm. hang around. So who are you hanging around? Cause that's going to show me your future. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. I know I jacked that all up, no, but you yeah. know, but that's, so I know I said they were like, Matt, shut the fuck up. You're going to be fine. <laughs> they were still there. Yeah. They still they listened there. to me and my meltdowns yeah. and they supported me. And like, if it wasn't for my network, I don't know where I would be. And yeah, that's, that's like good. one of the things I emphasize. You are who you surround yourself with. Yeah. That quote you were just talking about, you hang out with nine successful people, you're going to be the 10th one. You hang around with nine bums, what do you think is going to happen? Yep. You know, so I try to surround myself with people that like, um, you know, that, that contribute, that bring something to the table, that have solid recovery, that yeah. I can trust and that I can go through and be vulnerable and admit that I'm weak and admit that I'm scared and not have that same type of feelings that when I was getting high, I had to get high in those moments because I had to cover it yeah. up because I couldn't show you. I couldn't express that I was going to be vulnerable or that I was scared or any type of weakness where now that's not, you know, fortunately for like the group of friends that I have, I don't have to like hide. I don't have to hide yeah. who I am. I can be who I can be my true self. And yeah, that's I love a lesson. I love it, man. I, I, all right. So I got one, one last question before we wrap up and before yeah. we, we find out how we can get in, in contact with you and connect and all that good stuff. Yeah. And I know this is probably the hardest question we've had to uh, address today. Um, mm -hmm. top three hip hop artists of all time. Go. <laughs> <laughs> top three hip hop artists of all time. Tupac. Um, or at least your favorite. You could do your favorite, favorite as well. Okay. Tupac's okay. my favorite yeah, artist of it. all time. Yeah. Um, I'm a big M fan. Eminem's oh, like yeah. one of my favorite favorite artists. I love like when he starts rhyming. I don't ever want to write again. <laughs> Um, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then for third, I don't, it's hard to, to judge like a top, top three for me. Just I for everybody listening to Matthew had no idea I was going to ask this. So no, 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 he, no, this no. is totally on the spot, which that's why yeah, I said yeah. it's a really but hard I like, question. I enjoy different, different yeah. artists. Like I love Nipsey Hussle. I regret oh, yeah. that I didn't know about Nipsey Hussle before he passed away. Yeah. I got into his music more after he passed and like the mentality he brought to the table is amazing. 50 cent. When I was in high school, 50 cent was like, yeah. that's what we wrote out. You know what we wrote out. What to. about a uh, gangster? Um, and DMX, DMX yeah. is probably my third. That would be okay. that would be um, my third favorite artist. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate. I got to, I, I was blessed with, with, uh, you know, with knowing him on a personal level. On top of it, so wow, he'd nice. probably be my third. Yeah. So Tupac, M, and X. X like was like it. raw and authentic, and one of the most genuinely good people that you would ever come across. Yeah. And um. Yeah, I mean, but there's other like Jay-Z and his business mentality. I love 50 Cent. I actually just read a book that he had wrote that was uh, just like the mentality of business and his approach and like the, how the street, I don't know. I There's different things from different artists yeah. that I enjoy. I like NF. NF's a dope artist. Oh, yeah, he's good. I love the he's fact good. he don't swear. Mm -hmm. Everything is just, you know, it's raw. Um, from, from my area, Slain is like a good friend of mine, uh, but he's like he's like a, a, an incredible lyricist, underground hip hop cat. He's, he's been in movies. He was in the town. Yeah, um, it's a great movie, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rob, yeah. <laughs> it's an incredible movie. Yeah, but um, but yeah, and I, I mean, you know, I'm always trying to listen to some new stuff. I, I, I listen yeah. to some old. I don't really like the new hip hop. Yeah, they mumble and talk nonsense. And they, they, they really dress 
fucking strange. Yeah, this shit um, is very strange. There's like, there's there's not a lot of uh, lyrical like content. No, in it. it's just like no. the same thing over beat. and over. And yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a beat. You loop the same fucking phrase. Yeah, and you try to catch a dance with it, and you hope that you blow up off a single. It's not yeah. like lyricist. It's not like like one of one of the things about Tupac that I love is he had so many ranges of different emotions yeah. and how he expressed himself and like you're angry one minute, but then you're writing Dear Mama. You're talking about, yeah. you know, a girl, keep your head up or, hey, you know, well, you wonder why we call you bitch. Like and then breaking down, you know, you probably shouldn't be doing those things <laughs> if you don't want to be called these types of names. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the, the wide variety of his perspective, like the perspective on life. Yeah. Um, for him, like he really touches me. X is raw emotion, and I love that aspect. And like uh, Jay, one of the the best quotes I ever heard, um, my boy Iggy, um, when he started watching me perform, he had told me about an interview uh, with Wale and ESPN's first take, and they were like, "Oh, you're like one of the number one performers," and he was like, "Nah, Jay Z is." And the reason why is that Jay Z doesn't have to do all this crazy stuff. He could sit behind a microphone and a million people will hang on every single word that he says. And all he has to do is this. And he captures (laughs) anybody that listens to him. So the way I perform in crowds is I want to pit. I want you to be able to hear a pin drop. I want to like capture you and have you so focused that like the entire crowd silent. And that's like something, you know, that, that for my performance style, like the emotion, the, the the rawness that I that I try to bring when I perform, um, was kind of related to that. That yeah. you hang on every word when I perform. Did, did and you want to emulate it because of Jay in that in that in that way? I I don't know if you're up for this. It's cool if not, or if so. Did you mm-hmm. want to Did you want to share a little bit of the poetry yeah. before we take off today? Of I, I would love to hear it. I'm sure those listening would too. Impatiently right. waiting until the smoke clears. Tight rope walking between insanity and serenity. I wonder if I can find hope here before the rope tears and the last thread of my misery. I can't escape the fog. The hands of failure grab hold of me, choking me, expose the broken me of what I was supposed to be. A wrong turn at the fork in the road. Now I can't turn back. Will the door of opportunity close or should I make my own path? I knew I shouldn't have sold that. A trip away from this foolish paradise to a place where angels with clipped wings make a tie string sing into the afterlife. For my soul... The devil wants to know what's the asking price. My fall from grace is quicker than slipping on black ice. Still searching for solid ground, spiraling and falling down. Is it really my calling now? Does it still make my heart pound? Standing on stage, staring out at the crowd. But it's nothing but empty seats. Do I do it for them or do I do it for me? Do I do it for peace or do I do it to be free? Just breathe. Because I want to take your breath away. Well, I welcome you all to my palace of shame and introduce you all to my marriage to pain. Carrying the shadow that I battled to change. And the war was ugly. I rose from the ashes of a junk. Used to load up in the bathrooms at donkeys. Now I'm getting high at the crowds in front of me. Like the applause of fix only fit for a druggie. So I take a hit off the people screaming they love me. And for that one shining moment, these dark skies become sunny. I forget about the nights I was alone. Roaming the streets, no place to go, no place to call home. Raising a broken child on my own and you wonder why I got stoned. Chemicals numbing my sharp senses. How many nights is it park benches? A story that's hot wrenching where I stop venting. The ghosts of my past coming back for vengeance. Syringes saying use me and you won't end up back behind barbed wire fences. But I'm against this. So I pull a piece of paper on and let my pen bleed for you to remember me. Even if my physical presence is deceased, the essence of my being will never leave. Inside these words, please cherish me for my soul to be set free is more than just a memory. 
<laughs> bro, thank you. That was sick. I love it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, dude. I love it. No, it man, was funny it's... when I first started performing. I get on stage man. talking about shooting dope and smoking crack. I would step <sighs> off stage and they would split for me like the Red Sea. Like I was still gonna steal their purse, and uh, you know, I, I thrive off of like spite, I guess. And I got this chip on my shoulder for motivation purposes, you know. Yeah. So uh, keep trying to push through it. There we go. Okay, I thought it. I thought I uh, dropped for a second. Uh, well, you froze a little bit, bro. Yeah. yeah th th thank you so much, man. This is. I really enjoyed this conversation oh, yeah. and 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 getting to I think know we you. We went a little bit over the time frame. Oh, we too, did, so. but man, it was just going so good, man. I just said look, we'll just we'll we'll roll with it, man. I, I really yeah. enjoyed it, and I, I I know a lot of other people out there listening are going to enjoy good. it too. Uh, where where can folks reach out to you? Where can they find more info about you, about your poetry, about aftermath? Um, yeah. Um, I got a writer's page, Matt Gannam, the poet on Facebook. Um, you can look my name up on YouTube for a bunch of videos and performances that are out there on Twitter and Instagram. It's Matt Gannam underscore poet. Um, AftermathTreatmentCenter.com is our website. There's Facebook.com uh, backslash Aftermath Treatment on Facebook for that. It's at Aftermath underscore treatment for Instagram at AftermathTC on uh, Twitter. And, you know, reach out, shoot me a message um, on my writer's page. I'm constantly putting up stuff that I've written in the past, stuff that I'm writing in the present. Um, you know, so if you like some of the some of that performance piece, um, this is definitely. Oh, lost you there. Are you back? Uh oh. You there, Matthew? I think we got a little, we had a little drop on the internet connection there. We'll see if Matthew comes back in. If not, um, I'll, I'll just go ahead and wrap it up. Um, we'll make sure that we put, we, we'll make sure that we put all the, the show notes, or I'm sorry, all the links today in the show notes. So you'll be able to find those there. Um, it's uh, uh, aftermathtreatmentcenter.com, facebook.com slash aftermathtreatment, and then at Matt Ganim underscore poet uh you can find that on instagram and at aftermath underscore treatment as well yeah i don't see that matthew's coming back in um so man what a great conversation i hope you guys enjoyed that today i hope something spoke to you um man you can follow us on instagram at that sober guy podcast uh, you can also join our sober guy men's group on locals if you're tired of drinking Head over to quitdrinkingdude.com. You can check out the 30-day program there. Good times, man. Always fun. Always good. Shout out to Nate for setting it up today. Oh, there's Matt. He's back in yeah, here with us. There he is. Somebody must have unplugged the Wi-Fi in the office. I was wrapping it up, but I, everyone uh, knows how to get in contact with you, man. Just thank you so much for... Uh, coming on the podcast today bro appreciate hey, thank, you thank you for having me bro it was a dope it was a dope moment yeah. cool to share thanks brother